Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. And I have Jake Latondris on from Latondris Media with me today. Jake, it's been a long time. You were one of the guys that was recommended as a guest very early on by Jim Sobeer and several other folks. And I'm sorry that it's taken this long to hook up, man, but you're a busy dude. You are all over the map. You were stuck in a hotel last week and in Florida the week before that, it seemed like. And, man, you've been all over the place. So what have you been up to? Oh, man, is is uh... – is, is it seems like the, the wheels were just spinning uh, and getting nowhere during the whole COVID era. It seemed like I was busier than I ever had been just trying to keep up with everything, you know, make some transitions into the uh, more into the digital world. And, you know, we were dealing with cancellations and, and questions at Prairie Rock Outfitters and had some, you know, trips canceled with my media company that were supposed to be overseas that obviously never happened. But, you know, we were just catching up on things and, and uh, Bassmaster got postponed into late summer and fall last year. So when that picked up, you know, travel started again. And man, I got, I got, I got busy. Uh, as I always say, I was busier than a two-headed woodpecker. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but I like it. <laughs> There's all kinds of those sayings that go around, but you were telling me before we jumped on, you're kind of, things are, you can take a breather or take a break. I wouldn't say a break, but you could catch a breath at the moment, but, and start doing some, some editing on a lot of the media that you've got. You, you had some trips backlogged and things you just couldn't get to. Um, but you were stuck last week you called me and you were like dude i can't do this i'm stuck in a motel i know there was another podcast i think it was the if i remember right it was the retriever connection uh podcast that you guys you had to kind of postpone you couldn't get back for that what was going on yeah so i was in jacksonville or just south of jacksonville in palatka florida filming the first bassmaster event for the 2021 season and uh, the obviously the ice storm down south and really all, all over the country hit. And I was stuck in Jacksonville in the airport for 33 hours um, outside of my original flight uh, schedule. So I got a hotel at the at the uh, at the airport and, and basically sat there for two days waiting for a new flight to come in because you couldn't get through Atlanta. Um, Dallas, Houston, even they tried to reroute me through Newark and Philadelphia and all the backlogged, uh, you know, canceled flights had all the other airports filled up. So it was very difficult to get out of there, but I did catch up on some sleep. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, which was necessary, you know, which was necessary and, and uh, finally got home and just got back from the Knoxville, uh, Tennessee River Bassmaster event uh, the day before yesterday. So now I've got about 12 more days until the next Bassmaster event. So I'm going to take that time to hang out with my kids and catch up on some edits, uh, photos and video edits for that are backlogged even up to 12 months. So lots to do, but um, it, it's kind of a break from travel. Sure. Yeah. You know, we were the the northern and western states were kind of laughing at everybody when that whole thing first started. <laughs> And then it real quickly, it, 
it was like, yeah, we deal with this all the time, but it real quickly became realized that this isn't a laughing matter. These people are, it's, this is more than just like a storm that blew it. This was a big event that the folks in the South and especially Texas, Florida, Texas, man, they, and they don't have the ability to deal with it. Like, like we do where, yeah, the snow plows come out and the salt goes down or the dirt goes down on the roads and people are used to driving in it and being in it and infrastructure can handle it. And man, it's for what it's interesting because if you threw that kind of heat at anybody from the upper Midwest, the Texas heat and the heat they get in Florida on a regular in the summertime, they'd melt. They wouldn't know how to handle that, you know, or some of the storms that they get and stuff like that. So it's just interesting to see how the different parts of the country, how things get just, just crushed. I remember I was a kid, man. It had to have been the late eighties, that late eighties, I think maybe early nineties. There was a, some friends went to Florida on spring break. And I mean, I was, I was a kid. I think I was like third grade, fourth grade. And our teacher came back. It was, it was him and his family. They went down there and Florida had a, had an event similar to what had just happened. And they were talking about all the fish washing up on the beach that weren't dead, but they were like stunned, you know, the cold, they were, they couldn't handle it. And they're like putting them back in the water, you know, trying to help them out and the turtles. And you were seeing pictures of all that same stuff this time around. And it was like, man, like once every 25 or 30 years, it seems like they get, that happens. What about the car pileups and the, the, the tragedies that occurred on the highways in Dallas and you yeah. know other cities around the country was just, you know, it's horrendous to watch those accidents. Um, you know, I don't want to get too <laughs> detailed and, and yeah, gruesome with it, but you know, those, those semis plowing into piles of cars was just really hard to watch. Um, so, you know, another Testament to them not being able to handle a, a, right. Uh, a natural disaster, if you want to call it that, um, you know, particularly down in Texas, I had friends that would text me when they had what little power they did right. and they were trying to conserve cell phone energy because they couldn't, they couldn't uh, charge their phones, all their, their extra, um, you know, mobile battery chargers were out of juice because they had used all the power and those things, not knowing how long that was going to last. So yeah, that was a catastrophe. And of all the things that we've been through over the past 12 months, I know it was just an add on pressure for, for a lot of people to have to deal with. And it's like, when are we ever going to get a break? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I thought the same things when I was watching, like you said, watching the pileups and, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, it seems like here, especially in Wyoming, that now, especially down on the I-80 corridor, driving over the Continental Divide, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time, unfortunately. But man, if you're not prepared for that, if you're not used to it, it is, it's tragic. And what, and the stuff that happens is, and it's like, man, can, can you catch a break or not? Because you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But well, at least you were stuck in a hotel room and all that and not, you know, someplace with no power and having to, man, I, no fun. Just, just, no, no fun. it was, 
Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, I did have a few days to catch up on some sleep. I had a few beers in my room, <laughs> caught up on a little, I did have some short edits that I needed to get done, you know, for some branded uh, commercials that I had backlogged. So I, you know, you, as you know, as busy as you are as well, and, and all of us that are super busy, multitasking, you take downtime and you try to be productive with it. So you know, you're, you're, you're either catching up or getting stuff done that you need to get done anyway. So yeah, one way or another, you're busy. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no real downtime. You know, it was like my family, my wife and kids got sick last week and I got it a little bit. It's kind of a 24 hour bug bug thing, but I, it's like the whole house is laid up, you know, and my wife can't do anything. We got a, we got a little one she's laid out. And my other two kids aren't going to school cause they're sick. And it's like, I guess daddy's staying home. And there's no downtime. You're just adding all that onto working from your laptop at home, you know, doing the rest of the stuff where, whether it's editing or whether it's, ah, who knows? It, it's just crazy. It's crazy. But you're right. You're right. So I've, you were, I've got you were, three kids. Oh, go, go ahead. Go no, ahead. man, go ahead. I was just going to say, I have three kids. I'm a, I'm a, a single co-parent at home and whoops, the light just went out. Single co-parent at home and having three kids, I have a nine, a seven, and a three-year-old. And when I come home from a trip, you know, I hit the ground. You think you hit the ground, you can have time to unpack and unwind. Nah, I hit the <laughs> ground running as soon as I walk in the door because, you know, my 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 ex-wife uh, drops the kids off. She's had the kids for five days. We're very amicable. So I realize she's had the kids for five or six days. It's time. It's my turn. So as soon as I get home, I get the kids and it's, you know, my, my analogy is when you have one kid, it's daddy, daddy, daddy. When it's two kids, it's daddy, 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 daddy. When it's three kids, it's daddy, 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 daddy. <laughs> and it is, it is a constant, I love being a parent. I love my children, but it is a constant 24 seven job, as you know, especially oh, yeah. when they're young. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mine are three, five and well, five months, three years and five years. And so it's, yeah, the, 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 the <laughs> five month old is pretty easy still at this point, but he's not far off, man. He's already like pulling himself up on the side of the couch and it's like, Oh man. You're two years like in terms of age class, you're two years, you're two years behind me mm -hmm. in terms of where my kids are now. So I know right where that is. And two, you, th you know, we always thought two kids seem busy, three kids you're outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. And I got one, a couple of the guys from here at work have four. Well, wow. one has four, another one has fourth on the way. And there's like, once they get in, it's funny. Cause he's like, once you get to three, you might as well just round it out and have four or five, six. It doesn't matter. They have a whole litter. Yeah. They got you outnumbered by that point and it doesn't matter, but well, Jake, we could sit here and talk about kids and stuff all the time, but for the folks that don't, that might not know or aren't familiar with your company and what you do, give us a rundown. What, what, what is Latondris media? Yeah. So Latondris media is essentially a freelance media company um, we do multimedia tasks and productions at different levels. You know, we've worked for some really big brands. We work for some really small startup brands. Um, you know, we're non-biased. We don't, we, we, we try to, you know, pick and choose, 
uh, people that we work with based on chemistry and how well we get along. Because as you know, and everyone else probably knows, you know, you could take a job and get paid as, as, as much as you want. And if there's no chemistry, it won't work. You know, eventually you'll run out of, of energy and, and, um, and the relationship will dissolve itself. So, you know, we work with, with some really cool people and some really good brands. We've been around for, I've been around for 20, 22 years now in the outdoor space and the hunting and fishing industry started out in the outdoor adventure, ice climbing world. Okay. Um, and just sort of transitioned into the hunting space because that's really where my passion and love is from childhood. Um, I do have a, a few people working for me uh, once full time and I've got some freelance uh, guys and gals out there that do various uh, tasks for us. But, you know, essentially we build commercials, we do artwork, we do photography, we do live broadcasting for Bassmaster as, as a freelance guy. Um, and then, you know, we build feature films for people like Ramsey Russell, um, I, in the waterfowl space, I've been working for RNT calls for, okay. oh, since 2002 now, uh, that's how far back my relationship with Jim Ronquist and John Stevens goes. So yeah, Jim yeah. was, when, when Jim was on the podcast, he, you were one of the folks that he said, so I've had two people, Jim, both Jim's. Jim Sobeer from Sitka and Jim Ronquest from RNT were like, you got to get Jake on and talk. He'd be, he's, he'd be great. So, well, they're that, both great guys and good friends of mine for sure. I, you know, I, and I enjoyed talk, talk. I enjoyed hunting with Jim Sobeer and enjoyed talking with Jim Ronquest. It's definitely, I told him, I said, Jim, after season's over, everything kind of calms down. I got to have you back on. We got to talk about, you know, how your season went because it was kind of heading into it. We hadn't gotten crazy. You're, you're in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, go ahead. I, I'm in Fort Collins or just That's south right. east of Fort Collins, Colorado, in a little town called Timnath. And then, you know, my uh, outfitting service is up in western Nebraska on the North Platte. Right. And so, I mean, and I'm like almost straight north of you up in northwestern Wyoming. And so – and Jim is kind of on that same latitude as you are roughly, you know, and, and so bird wise, the way things work out, those seasons don't get going until, you know, November, December, January. And I don't know for us this year, anyway, we didn't, we got a, we got a big push early in like October and then they, st they stuck, they stayed uh, for ducks anyway. And then, they pushed out towards the end of the season. We were like, we need weather. We need weather. We need weather. And all the geese were up in Jim Sobeer's neck of the woods in Montana. And we got too much weather. And I think it shoved most of our birds down to where you guys are at. Cause Thank our <laughs> dude, our last, our last week and a half, our last week was a bust. You know, it was 20 below 30 below. We had, um, guy actually recorded temps at his weather station at his house that his little weather station does wind chill factors it in he had 47 degrees below zero one morning at his house and that's I mean, what, and, that's, we were in the same boat we yeah i mean yeah. we were we had negative 26 at one time my business partner has a cattle company too so he was calving it oh, triggered the dude. calving season it was it went it went brutal ballistic dude it was just it was he at barns or was he is he doing it out 
he was trucking him he was put he had a heated uh cargo trailer Mm -hmm. so he was as soon as the calf hit the ground they had like literally people don't realize this but people they had like a minute to get their calf into the cargo trailer that was heated with hay in it to get him into a barn a heated barn just so they wouldn't freeze to death i mean they literally if two hit the ground at the same time it was chaos well and i and i think a lot of ranchers here they did the best they can but i think there's going to be there was a lot of make or break during that during that whole deal there was an awful lot of calves and stock in general you know a lot of anything that was old had some age on it horses mules stuff was i mean you it's unfortunate but you saw stuff dying like crazy when it was that cold and for me for me to be griping that it pushed my birds out or that the birds flew straight over and didn't stop you know until they got down in nebraska or eastern colorado was big deal you know when you look at it like that but holy smokes yeah, we had a, deer and elk. We had deer and elk tearing hay bales up, yeah. you know, because they didn't have food. I mean, we had 12 inches of snow and negative 26 degree uh, ambient temperatures with negative 40 degree uh, wind chills. And, um, you know, the deer and elk were busting into all the haystacks because that's really all they had to feed on at that time so right i'm sure we lost some deer you know it probably culled out the week in the herd yeah uh, which is, isn't always a bad thing but you know i'm anxious to I'm, I'm gonna go up and shed hunt here in a few days at prairie rock and i'm 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 gonna be surprised if i don't find some dead carcasses in the woods. oh yeah yeah no it was I remember lad two, three years ago, we had a big storm like this and it lasted and kind of had a, a real rough March in early April too. And I, when I actually went to film a turkey hunt in uh, the Black Hills of Wyoming that spring, we counted the first day, we counted over 50 winter kill whitetails. Wow. I mean, it was wow. just that whole, the chunk of ground we were hunting was just littered with dead deer and it was all fawns it was all fawns whether buck fawns or or doe fawns it was all young of the year we never found a a single mature animal so crazy 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 but yeah we we transitioned off off talking about your media company back to the weather again it's all related right it's all part of it because that's what we do and you know we're in the outdoor space so we're constantly monitoring the weather we're looking at you know, natural resource management, conservation, all these things that we're talking about is all part of what we do. And it affects us somewhere down the line. It has some sort of a snowball effect, uh, either positive or negative one way or another. So it's all relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. It's, you don't, you don't, you don't sit down and talk to other hunters or anglers and, and not the, the, the things like the weather and things like that, they, they just come up because it does it affects you 100% you know like I like I said we we literally did not have we lost the last week of goose season because they're just it was just too much weather too much weather so it's it's funny that you know our season we struggled when we got the the big super moon in December we started to struggle um with nocturnal birds yeah and yeah. so I started calling, you know, friends of mine and other people 
other resources around the country in different parts, even from Ontario to Alberta and Saskatchewan. I talked to you once, yep. um, was obviously in touch with Jim Ronquist quite a bit, who talks to Ira McCauley at, at Habitat Flats. And, you know, we just go around this big circle uh, uh, exchanging information. And one of the, the phenomenal things that occurred was how many people were saying the same thing in I different know. parts of North America about nocturnal birds being affected by that supermoon. And it took them a long time to come out of that. I, I personally think it, it affected their, their, their photo period um, I'm not sure if birds have a pineal gland or not, but you know, that's, that's the, the, uh, the mechanism that triggers, you know, the rut and the things in, in, right. in mammals right. and right. whatever triggers that in birds, I think it affected them in a way that they went into a, they went into, they flipped their photo period and it took them a while to come out of that, that, uh, that crazy, um, phenomenon that we saw. And, no, and again, it was it was weird because it happened all over the country. It, it, yeah, it was. It was literally like a universal theme. Everyone that I talked to or had on the podcast, or it was the same thing. They had birds. It wasn't the problem. The migration was pretty good, but they were nocturnal. You know, and if you were trying to kill them on a feed, forget it. Forget oh, it. Yeah. And, you know, it was for us here, it was they they didn't it was warm so they weren't roosting on the river they were roosting on uh water treatment facilities that you can't hunt and there were there were three different ones that i knew of that each of them probably had seven to ten or twelve thousand birds on it and there was a reservoir with a warm water spring that feeds into it so there was a big chunk of open water on that that was Oh, it was quite a way south of here, but it was doable for a hunt, you know, and I kept my eye on that about once a week going down there. It's the same thing. You'd go there during the day and it would be covered in birds and they would not leave that sucker until it got dark. And yeah, right before we had the dark. same thing. Yeah, it was I mean, it would be early morning, the early morning shoot for about 30 minutes to an hour was your normal duck that's what you expect when you duck hunt wherever yep. you are in the country and then it was dead yep. and i mean dead to the point to where you wouldn't even if you didn't know the birds were in these sloughs on the refuge on our river system you literally wouldn't even know there was a bird that existed within 100 miles of there know, was, and then right at shooting time you know, we'd go back in the afternoon to see if we could get an afternoon hunt in and right at shooting time, right. these birds would come pouring out of these, out of these sloughs off on the refuge. Yes. And I mean, by the tens of thousands, and we figured we probably, during that time, we probably had about a hundred to 130,000 mallards on our property. And again, during the day, you wouldn't even know they were there, but then right at dark, it was like, it was, it was like a, sight to behold movie. yeah, yeah it's a sight exactly. to behold it just just absolute vortexes of birds into a feed somewhere same exactly. same exact thing in fact the the latest video that we put up on on youtube and facebook was a solo deal i couldn't get anybody to want to go one morning and so i just grabbed the camera guy and was like come on we're gonna it might be a bust but we gotta try and i put together a quick one-man limit and, if, you know, if you wouldn't have been filming, we'd have killed 10 birds. You know, if the camera guy wouldn't have been filming and he'd have been shooting, we'd have gotten 10 birds. <laughs> but 
it was that wasn't the that wasn't the storyline, but it was the same thing. That first 30 minutes, man, you had to capitalize on the birds that it was like, and I kind of ranted that morning a little bit about you take what you can get in when it gets tough. You know, everybody wants to shoot these birds that are backpedaling right in your face. And I was like, that bird's cupped up looking at my decoys at 30 yards i'm shooting <laughs> they're shooting you gotta I'm scratch shooting. the hunt out yeah, yeah instead exactly of doing it the way you really want to you had to scratch out the hunts particularly yeah. you know for us we had paid hunters and i'm oh, like man. i'm up i'm at the lodge going you guys we cannot be late tomorrow morning you know right. we were 10 or 15 minutes late yesterday and you saw what happened we missed a good proportion uh of that morning hunt because we were running late we're fumbling around after shooting time ducks are in the decoys and you know you when it like you said when it's when it's lean like that you have to capitalize on what you have to you have to take what it gives you right oh man yeah that was that was the case every time we had one hunt that we'll release later it was end of the season and it was a little tiny secluded spot like a back channel off the river and there were thousands of ducks using that thing and we we all everybody was like it's 20 gauge this is 20 gauge time and we thought <laughs> okay we'll take turns you know because right before shooting light there's just ducks just wheeling in there the camera guys literally laying on the riverbank just pointing the camera up at the sky and there's birds like landing on like right next to him and so it was really cool and we're like, we'll take turns. We'll take turns. It's going to be awesome. Well, those birds were so close, like 10, 15 yards. We all missed the first bird we shot at. Like, boom, boom, boom. Too close. I was like, uh, we better just shoot, you know, and we're first guy missed. And everybody laughs, you know, second guy misses. We all laugh. Third guy misses. And it's like, uh oh, and the fourth guy's like, I got this. And he misses too. And it's like, okay. No more taking turns. We got to start putting ducks in, in the in the decoy, you know, on the strap. <laughs> but it was like they were too close. But that'll be a good one. But it was that was a rare deal this year to have birds that just bombed on you like that. I mean, it happened a little bit, but like you said, you had to be dialed and you had to make the most of those early those first few minutes of daylight because you weren't going to get that mid morning nine thirty flight. You know, it wasn't reliable exactly well we you know when when that weather finally came i think it was january the 23rd or 24th and we had a group of guys in from california and you know we had that morning hunt and it was slow we missed some opportunities and i you know as a guide you're just going when a group of ducks comes in and they miss and you know that these are going to be these are going to be far and few between you just, you just shake your head and go, Oh my God, we, you know, that's, yep. you, you start making up excuses like, well, if we don't kill that many, that's not my fault. Cause they had their opportunities. Right. But at about, uh, we had, I think we had two ducks at noon and you know, we're, everybody's bored to death and you could feel the weather changing uh -huh. and, and then at one o'clock in the afternoon, one fifteen, somewhere around there, it started. It started getting kind of nasty, and these ducks were. We were seeing these these 
small groups of mallards that were really high coming back to the river from the southeast. And I'm going, well, that's a really odd direction for them yeah. to come because that's really abnormal for where we are to see them coming like that. And then they, they came, more came, they kept coming, they kept coming. And I'm like, dude, these are new birds. These are birds right. coming in from Kansas or down on the South Platte somewhere or even down on the upper uh, Arkansas River, you know, in southeast Colorado, these are birds sure. that are coming back on the reverse. Right. And 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 you could tell because you could hit them hard one time, and they acted like new birds from the north. And we ended up in two hours. We ended up with a six-man limit of greenheads. That's and so dude. Oh, and I was like, holy crap! This is, <laughs> you know, I was like, man, I need I need this right now. Yeah, you know, your we, heart's we've like. Been, something <laughs> thank god thank you lord <laughs> and even the geese even the geese so for from that day forward to the end of the last day of our dark goose season which was february i think february the 9th or 10th something like that you know we had really strong days uh almost full limits every single day from that day to the end of the season so it was it was a blessing for us and we were very thankful to get what we could get even though it was a little you know short ended at the end of the season we still had opportunities to to you know get clients on what we consider to be prairie rock outfitter hunts no that's cool that's cool so prairie rock how long have you been with how long have you done that yes yeah, so media, media company's about 20 years old roughly Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I've been a guide, a freelance guide for uh, a long time, but I really just got involved with, with Prairie Rock about four years. No, actually about five years ago, I started working, helping them promote or helping Ryan Livingston, who is the founder um, yeah. and originator of Prairie Rock. I came in to help him promote his business because he has all this property. He's a fourth generation rancher up in, you know, on the, on the Platte, in the Platte River Valley of Nebraska. And so he has access to some really big ranches, lots of river bottom ground and all that stuff. And so I came in to help him promote it and it got big really fast. Jim Ronquist came out. We did some TV shows with RNTV. Um, we did some stuff with Ramsey Russell, and obviously, you know, utilized our own uh, social media platforms to, right. to promote everything. And we started growing really fast. So Ryan approached me about buying into the company. So this was my third full year as part owner of Prairie Rock. Um, and it's just Ryan and I that, that run everything. Um, so, yeah, this this is really my third full year as um, as a, a shareholder in the company to, sure, to sure. be a part of it. Yeah, the media company doesn't keep you busy enough. You got to, you know, <laughs> spread yourself even more thin. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, for years I've been a brand chaser. And as you know, having been in this business for a long time yourself um, and 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 being a part of Eastman's, which is, I mean, an iconic, you know, uh, an iconic pillar in the outdoor space, particularly Western hunting, sure. um, you know that brand chasing can be a dog chasing his own tail oh yeah you know especially now with all the all the people that have cameras that are shooting stills and shooting video they can they can create really good content for people for way less money uh way quicker output deliverables 
and you know it makes it very challenging and competitive in the outdoor space so my thought was okay i've got some a handful of brands that are really no one can come take these people away from me because we have relationships and hold on so okay we got a bad connection here Hmm. now we're good i see the recording button yeah no we're good we're still we're still recording you just got all broken up there so you were talking about relationships yeah so you know brand chasing um isn't is is can sometimes be a dog chasing his own tail because you you're in line with people wanting to compete with you you know, to get in with the the biggest brands. Everybody wants to work for Yeti. Everyone wants to work for Sitka. Everyone wants to work for, you know, Browning or Winchester, whoever it is. And it's very competitive. And those brands have opportunities to, to hire people, you know, at, at, at lower rates, um, right. at, at, you know, very competitive uh, creative content. These, you know, these young guys are, are kicking stuff out. That's incredible. So I thought, you know, I would take what Latondras media has been doing for 20, 18 or 20 years at that time. And I thought, well, I'm just going to plug and play what I do, utilize what we know how to do and you, and use that to market and promote Prairie Rock Outfitters and stay with the, the strong brands that we have these really long, relation long-term relationships with like rnt or or boss shot shells or you know even i I don't do work for sitka anymore um, because they took everything in-house but i still have a relationship with them and you know if they ever need help then i'm I'm always willing to come back and and help jim saw beer out or, or whoever so you know really what i thought was the right transition was to go from being a freelance brand chaser to my own media company for Prairie Rock Outfitters. And that's what we focus on now. I mean, I still do some international hunts with some clients that I have good, you know, relationships with. And I've been able to pick and choose those over the years to where I weeded people out that I knew the chemistry was wrong. It was, you know, I did it for the money and, and that was it. And now I'm really happy with all the people that I work with and, um, you know, I think it just takes time to get to that point. So anyway, that's what we do with, with Prairie Rock. And that's how I integrated Latondras Media into the Prairie Rock brand. That's interesting. That's, that's really interesting because your Latondras Media has, has a look, you know, there's certain companies out there that they have a look, you know, where you can take a look at a photo on Instagram or you see a video on YouTube or pops up in a Facebook feed and you can tell without looking at the labeling who that is or have a pretty good idea of who that is and that Latondras Media has got that um and it's interesting that you say you know you you weed you weed you weed people out because it's you're absolutely right there's things where it's like if you're forcing it and and I mean this is business this is life this is hunting whatever if you're forcing it and trying to put a square peg in a round hole, man, it's just going to hurt the hole and the peg at the same time. And nobody's going to benefit, you know? 
you have to recognize what your relationship is with these people so that a you don't get pissed off because you see it you see it all the time particularly with young people getting into the industry that don't realize look man there was a 150 other people that applied for this job or that are trying to get in to you know this brand as as a content creator or a creative and they hired someone else and it's because they wanted that look like you just said they wanted that unique look to represent their brand it has nothing to do with whether you're good or bad or indifferent it was everything it, it has everything to do with what they were looking for and i'll take sitka for for example there were some really uh, uh, unbelievably talented people that were, you know, challenging themselves, the competition and the brand to be a big part of what Sitka does, particularly in the, in, let's say in the, in the waterfowl uh, category, they ended up hiring Kana outdoors um, to do, to do their, uh, you know, their launch, launch videos, lots of their uh, feature films and, and right. short films because Ben, Ben Potter has that look that they wanted. They wanted that raw, um, uh, raw, high quality, uh, purposeful imagery that was different than everyone else's like, uh, uh, you know, the different production companies that, that have done some huge, huge jobs for huge brands like Cabela's and Bass Pro and, right. and all these other brands, but they were specifically dialed in to, to Ben. And I was really happy for him that he got that opportunity because it blew him up. It blew his, his, his content up. It, it really inspired other people to do what he did, but it was really, again, it was all about him fitting their style. And so if you're young and you're watching this and you get rejected by a brand that doesn't pick you to be their creative, don't get mad because it's not about, you know, it's, that's not personal. It's about style and chemistry and all those other things involved. So my advice to you would be to go out and find someone look at chemistry first because it all starts there and it all ends there. Um, if you get a job with someone and you end up not liking them, think, as you know, you know, the yeah, wheels fall work. off. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. The wheels fall it, off really fast too. You know, that's been one thing that I hate to bring up the, the multi-headed monster, but COVID crushed the, the shows COVID crushed the trade shows in the outdoor and, and did it for not just the outdoor industry it did it for everything i mean nothing everything happened. yeah mm -hmm. and but so much of that relationship building happened at shot show you know for example or harrisburg or the nwtf show ata you know, the ATA. list goes on and on yeah i mean you could you could there's very and, and zoom's great skype's great at least it's better than a phone call because you can see people's facial expressions and you can, it's, it's more, um, more honest, I guess, to put it that way. But there's nothing that takes the place of actually sitting down, breaking bread with somebody or sit, even if it's in a booth and having a, a sit down meeting with somebody because it's, there's that personal connection there and you can tell real fast, you know, this this is going to be a fit or it's not going to be a fit you know and you do what like you said you do you might do it for the money to start but it becomes evident real quickly 
it's either a fit or it's not. And I think that's sound advice to, to people that are trying to make us make a way in it. Don't take it personal, keep grinding, keep pushing. You know, it's, it's like, so you set out, you know, I don't know how many dozen snow goose decoys and you get your butt kicked that day. It's not personal. You just got to go back and do it again the next day and maybe change things up or switch things up or try something different. And you just keep working until you find something that sticks. And that was, exactly. I know what, I know with what we did, what, what we did here, it took us a while, especially with YouTube and, and YouTube still it's, YouTube's like a moving target all the time, man. But it's like, there's guys that crush it on YouTube and they have it dialed. And it's like, man, good for you. You found a niche, but if they were, if they were to change their style and what they did, people would be like, what's that? It's like, you almost have to just be stubborn sometimes with some things, keep playing with it and get, keep tweaking but once you find something that works, you stick with it. You know, one of the things for us is, is gear reviews. We found our niche with working with Sitka. It was like, we, we figured out pretty quick that people want information on Sitka products that more than what they can get off the Sitka website or, and you, those are all of our, some of our most successful videos are those are literally breaking down a Sitka system for people and giving honest opinion and feedback on educated how, information how we use it yeah exactly that's great you know but you can go anywhere and get a kill shot compilation you know what i mean it's like click on that yeah there's all kinds of uh those are entertaining but porn, I, you know yeah i'm i'm with you i'm with you i think that education is the key because people still they've always i mean even going back to the days of the Eastman's, you know, uh, journal TV show that was about learning what really emulating what, what y'all were doing to be, to become successful right. for yourself. So people watched, you know, Al Linder on the in fisherman videos to learn how to catch walleyes. People watched Eastman's to learn how to, to bow hunt, you know, uh, mule deer out in the prairie or whatever it is right, right. And i think it's still that that foundation and that basic concept is still uh you know the the key to success and that's educating people whether it's gear reviews or how to do this or you know where to go in 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 lean times or how to you know find a big buck during the early season or whatever it is right. education is key because not everyone sometimes we probably take things for granted because we've been you know lucky enough to be with a lot of successful people people that have been doing it a long time people that have great resources um, that we're able to you know uh, be a part of their world and and most people don't and i think right. you know I think the key to all that is, is like what you guys are doing. That's, that's educating people. So, um, you know, we try to do the same thing at Prairie Rock. We just try to yeah. educate people on what we just did, why we were successful, but we also don't hide those days where, you know, 
we weren't so successful and, and what's going on? Why, why is this happening? Are you experiencing the same things? And I think people gravitate towards that kind of stuff. I think so too. You know, it's kind of like the old adage with, you know, Mike going back to the Eastman's Mike Eastman will tell you well, And so will guy and Ike that, you know, for every picture you see is for every awesome photo you see in the magazine there's 200 that didn't make the cut you know what i mean and and you might have to take a thousand photos to get 25 you can use you know uh, and it's the same way with those days hunting for every day you go out and blister them man there's a lot of days when you're scrambling or it's tough and if you can help people figure out how to make how to make the most of those good days on their own. I do a little bit of freelance guiding too, um, in, for fly fishing and work with, uh, work with a, a little, a little company. I don't do it a lot. Back when I was a teacher, I did it. I got it a lot because I had all summer to guide. And now I work all summer. So I don't, I can guide here at weekends here and there kind of thing. I do it cause I like it, you know, it's fun. But mm -hmm. if I can't, one of my goals is, is, to, is at the end of the day, if that client steps out of my boat and can take what they learned to another river or another spot, or even go back on the same river the next day by themselves and be successful, then I did my job. You know, mm -hmm. I've helped them attain a level of success that they didn't have before. And I, yeah, I think that's what that's what we aim to do like you said that's how eastman started that's how it got its start that's why wingman is here is because of all of those things and at the end of the day i think you either need to educate or you need to inspire you know exactly and those that's why you see people that you know when someone kills a big deer a, a giant lifetime buck uh, or a once in a lifetime bull elk or even, you know, win a Bassmaster Elite Blue Trophy um, event or anything like that. When you, when that happens and you see them cry, that's that's this this lifetime of of hard work all boiling down into one successful moment that creates all this emotional outbreak because you know yourself how hard you worked to get to that point and that was a dream and your dream just came true and it, it took you 20 years to get there and it wasn't luck it was a lot of failure that culminated into that moment so you know that is inspiring in itself and and all the fail the successes in this educational is all your failures are you know because you tell people what you did wrong, which are the things that helped you learn to get to the things that you did right. And you do way more wrong than you do right. Is that not true? No, man. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I recorded a podcast with a couple of guys from Casper that are starting up. Well, they've got it started. They're trying to become official to, uh, an HRC club, uh, Boomtown HRC down in Casper. And they were talking about, you know, the trial, we were talking about the trials and errors of, of training a dog and all that goes with it. And it's the same thing, man. And you screw up way more than you are successful, especially to start. And then you kind of get rolling, you figure some things out, but yeah, that startup process is like, oh, the, hey, am hey. I doing anything right? 
Dude, that's one of the most difficult things of, of all the things that we do in the outdoor space, fishing, hunting, dog training, whatever. Dog training might be one of the most, most cerebrally difficult things I've ever, I don't, I'm not a dog trainer. I just do a podcast with Stephen Durrance and he teaches me how to train my dog and my dog was a finished dog when I got him but as you know even a finished dog has a lot to learn you know from that point moving forward until right. he really peaks into his 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 uh dynasty years and man the thing about dog training to me that's so difficult is that you have to understand what the dog's thinking and until you're around a lot of dogs or you have someone tell you why that dog just did what he did or she did you don't know i i thought you know for 47 years of waterfowl hunting i've been around a lot of dogs a lot of great dogs a lot of terrible dogs you know had my own dogs and I thought I knew a lot about it until I really started digging into serious dog training concepts, advanced concepts with Stephen Durrance. And I realized I don't know anything. And it was very, <laughs> it was very humbling to go from, you know, you've been a duck hunter your whole life and you've been around all these dogs to you're one of the most like everything I thought I knew is embarrassing because I, I what I thought was real was totally opposite of what was really real. It's it is crazy, <laughs> you know, and you deal with with anyone who's an expert in their field, you know, and has attained a level of of expertise, professionalism, of experience mm -hmm. that is that next level, and it's yeah you get set back in your, in your place real fast. You know, I, we were talking like on the podcast last night, those guys were funny. They were like, we are not, we are not experts. We would never claim to be experts. We just like working our dogs and it's a club. It's fun. It's something to do. And there's, you know, there's uh there's attainable goals that we're working towards. And, and that's kind of what it was about, but yeah, man, I'm, I've got a pup coming in June. Um, from SOK and we're kind of working with Barton on making that a project for like a video, a video type deal. And, and just kind of touch talking with him. We're kind of in the idea phase. I can already tell it's going to be a lot. You talk about a cerebral experience. I guarantee you I'm going to be exhausted after that's done, you know, or in the, in the middle of the process, there's going to be days where it's like, just put the camera away because we can't do it, <laughs> you know, or no, that's right. That's so true. Yeah. You can't force it. You know what I mean? You just can't force it. And, and you got to work through adversity and challenges, but you, you got to realize when something's just not working and you just back up a little bit and come at it from a different angle or take a break, come out from a different day. But, Dude, I was looking at, I'm going to go 180 on us here. Okay. I was looking, I, I, when I was a kid, you'd ask me growing up in the frozen tundra of Michigan's upper peninsula. If you'd asked me what I wanted to do, I'd have said, I want to be a professional bass fisherman. <laughs> wow. And there's, I mean, it was the middle of nowhere up there. I mean, it was, yeah, what are you going to be a professional ice bass fisherman? Because that was about the best. Yeah. The, hey, but you know, it's some. It's funny you say that because some friends of mine, as you, and you know who they are, 
who are some of the greatest bass fishermen in the world. In fact, the greatest bass fishermen in the world ever comes from that neck of the woods. And Kevin Van Dam, Mark Zonas from up there. Um, There's a, and, and people don't realize that some of those chain lakes up there and the smallmouth, the giant world-class smallmouth fishing up there around Traverse city is Unfreaking believable, like yep. the best smallmouth fishing I've ever seen in yeah, my it's, life. So, it's when crazy. you say that really you is. wanted to be a pro bass fisherman, I can relate because I live in the bass world. But a lot of people probably would look at that and go, Well, where I grew up, it was like there wasn't we didn't really have largemouth bass, we had lots of smallmouth, we had tons of pike, we had muskies, we had walleyes, perch. I mean, all those Al Linder fish, you know right, what I mean? Those right, right, right. fish. We didn't right. have great largemouth bass fishing. I had to go down into southern Michigan to get where there was good largemouth bass fishing. And there, I mean, there was some, but it wasn't not, not enough to make you an experienced professional bass fisherman. And so here's a, here's a KVD story. <laughs> okay. I'm standing on a dock in the evening as a kid, man. I'm like 12, 12 years old. 13 years old and i mean i knew i knew all the professional bass fishermen it was like i I was a huge fan that's what i watched tnn every sunday you know the nashville network watching that stuff i mean constantly and i even i even conned my parents into taking us on a spring break to bass pro shops in springfield missouri because that was like outdoor world that was like one of the only ones back then you know like the museum it was like that was the holy grail it was the holy grail and i saved i sold firewood i sold night crawlers (laughs) i i i mean dude i saved every scrap (laughs) i had for like two years and i blew it all at outdoor world i had a wad of cash man and i spent all of it rods reels lures i mean you name it and uh so then after that my as a treat for us my parents took us to big cedar lodge for like i don't two days three days and it was the fishing wasn't great it was the fish it was the spawn the fish were kind of going into post spawn almost the fish transition yeah yeah it was tough you know it it wasn't great we caught some bass but it was eh, okay but there were these pros hanging out that i recognized like I mean, Jerry Martin was in the cabin next to us, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you're just, in you're awe. awestruck. You're awestruck. Yeah. So back to this KVD story, standing there casting a buzz bait in the, in the, in the sunset on this lake in Southern Michigan. And this big, really nice bass boats kind of, you can see it and he's pitching docks, you know, docks and boat hoists and you know just see throwing a spinner bait i you know i don't remember what he was throwing i if i remember right it was a it was like a jig and and a, with a trailer on it i think he was just pitching those boat docks. creature bait of some sort yeah and anyway and that was back in the days really before creature baits it was like a jig and pig type deal the oh yeah right denny brower special you know but he's coming up and i'm watching this guy fish along and i'm like I think that's Kevin Van Dam. <laughs> and he gets a little closer and, you know, I'm standing on the dock and instead of fishing to it, he goes out around it. <clears throat> he's going to hit the next one. And he's, and he says, how's the fishing tonight? And immediately right there, I was like, holy crap, that's Kevin Van Dam. 
And he was pretty young at, you know, he was pretty new to the circuit at the time, but he was, he was a freaking hero, man. He was, was already winning. He, oh, yeah. As soon as he hit the, as soon as he hit the pro trail, he started winning immediately. Yes, he and I exactly. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here I am, this 13 year old kid pitching my little, <laughs> you know, buzz bait and trying to do, 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 you know, I didn't have a boat or that I'm all like that. And he comes by and, Good luck, man. Have a good night. You know, I, was I, I can hear I can hear his voice, too, because to this day, that's still Kevin Van Dam. That's still KVD. You know, he stops. He always stops and shakes hands with people. When we're out on a lake or uh, whatever we're doing, filming or, or, or in a photo shoot. He'll take the time and stop if someone he sees those 13 year old kids at the boat docks. He recognizes that they're standing there and they're not leaving until until they make eye contact with him or something so he goes out of his way and he'll pull in and say hey shake their hand sign That's their so hat cool. for him That's he so always cool. he is a great he is a great ambassador and a great guy um, and he's lived up to you know his legend because because of who he is and if you want to know how to be a professional you know, go hang out with KVD. That's how you become a professional at what you do. You're organized. You're you 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 know how to handle all the scenarios. Be it being in the public eye, being a public speaker. It's not just about catching fish and winning tournaments. It's about all the above. Because you could be a hermit and, and an extreme introvert. You'll never make it because you don't know how to handle those situations. I mean, right. Right. Two years ago, we were up in Michigan watching. I was watching the Super Bowl with him and we were at Buffalo Wild Wings uh, that night watching the Super Bowl and, and people wouldn't leave him alone. And you'd think that at some point he'd brush people off and go, man, can I just watch the football game and eat my chicken wings and drink my beer? But he he hosted every single person that came over that to address him for who he was. He never turned his back on any one of them. And I thought to myself, this is how, this is professionalism at its right. best. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, he, I went, I ran, he went, I let him, I played it cool till he was like out of, not out of sight, but you know, like a couple <laughs> docks down and I went flying up the dock and you're screaming like, yes. like <laughs> yes, that was KVD. <laughs> yeah. 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 My yeah. mom's like, who? My dad was like, and my dad had watched enough stuff with me that he was like, oh, that's cool. You know? And of course now he's, he's a legend, you know, but oh Forever. my gosh, you know, that, so what, so anyway, the whole point of all that is mm -hmm. dude, I get such a big kick out of your media with the, like when you were at the classic watching you looking at your posts watching that stuff i still you know and it for i'm like trout guy fly fishing that's my world now and and i sure i i transitioned living in michigan i transitioned from the bass stuff and i got in the steelhead and that's sure. kind of that's kind of my world now but I still, I love watching tournament bass fishing. I, it's like, it's hunting. Just, it's hunting. I, I mean, at the it. end of the day, it's hunting. You know, we're they're looking for, they're looking for big fish. Are, are we okay? Yeah. 
But they're looking for big fish, and they're that I, that's what I love about bass fishing, particularly in shallow water, is they're constantly moving around looking for signs, and sc- they're basically scouting with their eyes and their electronics and their boat, just like we do with our GPS and our our horses or our four wheelers or whatever it is we're doing, and we're looking for signs to show us where something, where that you know, trophy bass is or a trophy buck is. And I always constantly relate it to hunting. And I think, you know, when you talk to a lot of the elite anglers at that level, they're all hunters too. Almost all right. of them right. do some kind of hunting because it's it's the challenge and the, the chase that, that pulls us into what we do, right? Yeah, no, I was, that's, that I fished a handful of tournaments over the years with guys, whether it was bass or walleyes, you know, and just kind of in the boat type thing. And that was one of the things, the, the, the tournament that I enjoyed the most was a musky tournament because it, cool. it is big game hunting. I mean, you're literally no searching. Doubt. You are searching. And it's crazy too, because I was, I was actually talking to Guy Eastman about that because the Eastmans are, they love to fish. I mean, especially mm-hmm. Guy is like, if he's not hunting, he's in a drift boat someplace. He's fishing. That's his wow. thing. He loves it. And um, we got t- for some reason we got talking about big baits. I think it was there was a picture I saw um, on on one of the rivers I guide. Somebody had just caught a a big brown, not a not a giant trout by any stretch, but a big one. And he had like a ten or eleven inch sucker hanging out of his mouth that he had coughed up, and he had eaten mm-hmm. a streamer. Well, with this other fish sticking out of his mouth and I was, we were joking about it, you know, cause it's like, you can't throw big enough bait. And I said, man, I said, I learned that fishing muskies because all of the biggest fish of any species that I've ever caught have come. I've caught them as bycatch while I was fishing for muskies. I mean, I, I never exactly. weighed, I never weighed this fish, but I caught, a, I caught a largemouth, biggest largemouth I've ever, I've ever caught this was in the upper peninsula where they don't get, you know, much over a giant is four or five pounds. They don't get huge. I caught one. I bet money would go, would go eight to nine pounds. Wow. And he had an entire musky topwater bait sucked into his mouth. Choked the whole thing, choked it down. And this is a, like a foot long prop bait, you know, big fat thing. And I thought I had a nice musky when he sucked it down, you know, the toilet bowl flush and I set the hook and, it's a pretty good fish, but even an eight or nine pound bass doesn't stand much of a chance on an eight foot musky rod. You know, you just kind of winch <laughs> them in, right. but literally biggest walleyes, biggest, you name it. They all came on fishing for muskies, all of them. And it was just so that, that hunting stuff, you're hunting for the biggest fish. I could see, I could see it, you know, and that's one of the things I love about watching that stuff and watching your media on that is it takes you right back into it. And there's that connection to hunting, that connection to that excitement. Predatorial just, instincts, man, man. It's so cool. It's, it it's is. Just so cool. And yeah, it, it's, it's interesting what different guys do. And, you know, obviously we, we all make our living in the outdoor space and, and hunting in general, but man, I get a kick out of that, out of that fishing stuff too. And I I've really enjoyed your stuff the last couple of weeks. Well, well, thank you. They, you know, those guys, their goal is to go out, 
you know, from the top of the morning, their goal is to go out and put five legal fish in their box. So they right. have their five and that pressure's off. Then when they decide to go, if they're not on big fish, they go hunt big fish. And they always say it. They always say, okay, now we're going to go hunt for big ones. Right. And they always upsize their baits. They upsize their rods. You know, they, they, it's almost like, okay, we just went from 20 gauges to 10 gauges. You know, we're going to go, we're going to go find the You're big hunting. ones. And, that exactly and it, and it's it's that part of the day to me it's the slowest but when it happens and they blow up on a buzz bait or a big Exciting. spinner bait or a top water you know a, even a jerk bait it's like this this moment that just it's a it's adrenaline and it's funny as a camera guy in the back of the boat with whoever it is when something big a big moment occurs you know there's energy between us. I always tell people, people ask me, what's it like being in the boat with, you know, KVD or, or Jason Christie or Greg Hackney or whoever it is. I'm like, it's almost like being a caddy to a professional golfer yeah. where we're having this conversation all day long and they're, they're not, well, they're not asking for advice because they know everything. They still question themselves. They still backlash. They still miss their casts. And, they, you know, they get frustrated with what they get their lines caught in their trolling motor. They do the same things that everyone else does. And you wouldn't think it until you're in a boat with one of them. And you go, <laughs> they're, they're, they're humans, too. They're and they just, have all these. It's just it's, a it's dude. Like, it's all. It's, that's right. But their skill and I'm, I'm going to go back to something we were talking about a minute ago where you know to get to that level of oh. whatever it is you're doing hunting or fishing you have to th be able to think outside the box right right and because everybody thinks the same way like photography has gotten vanilla because everyone goes to youtube they take the same color grading uh techniques or presets or transitions for videos and and everyone's doing the same thing but there's some people that just stand out like the Lee Choses, the Bill Buckley's, the Clay Connors of the world, you know, that have this particular look about them that makes them stand out. And one time about, I would say about 15 years ago, Mark Drury and I were having this conversation at SHOT Show. And he said, he said, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. Right. And and you can either take this long to do it or you can take this long to do it. But it takes that much experience to become really a professional and an expert at what you're doing. And then I read this book called The Outliers. It has nothing to do with hunting or fishing or anything. It has everything to do with your philosophical outlook on life and how to become successful because it, 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 it doesn't teach you how, but it tells you, you know, to think differently than everyone else. And when you get in the boat with someone, all these guys like Greg Hackney and I were having this conversation in Knoxville the other day on the Tennessee River. He was back in this this back with this creek, uh, this finger to this uh, the mouth of this creek. And and all these boats were passing him and there. Everyone else was making a 25 or 30 mile run downstream to get to the big mother load of fish. And everyone's catching eight, nine pounds of fish at weigh in and Greg's, you know, seven or eight miles from the launch. And, and I said, I was really surprised that you had this all to yourself because there's the, the habitat in here is incredible. And he goes, 
I, I wasn't surprised at all. I would have been surprised if someone had come in here because everyone's gaining the information that the big mother load of fish is downstream, but I wanted to stay away from them because I didn't want to have to compete against all those other anglers for my fish. And I knew if I came in here, I wouldn't catch as many. I might only have five to eight bites a day, but the bites that I would get would be the right ones. And he was right. right. I mean, he finished in the top 10 and had a really great uh, uh, tournament. And it was because he was thinking outside the box. And I think what you do, what I do, what Guy and Mike and Ike and KVD and everyone else does, they're successful at it because they think outside the box. Man, there's no question about that. There's times when in in the big game space, especially when Guy'll make it, Guy'll he'll say something or explain something and you'll go, Huh, I never thought of it that way, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's made them it's it's set them, it has set them apart over time. And if you you would go because you have enough humbleness and enough experience at this to go, huh? I never thought it that way about it that way. But the people that are missing it, missing the boat, are saying, "Oh yeah, I knew that too," and they really didn't. And it just right. goes right over their head because they're too busy. They're too busy thinking they don't want to be. They don't want that other person to know they didn't know that. Right. And, and they miss the whole point. And it's all about, if you want to learn and understand, you got to pay attention. You got to be humble. Right. No, I completely agree. You know, and it's that, that ego thing that we can talk about gets in the way. <laughs> it gets Whew. in the way. It'll trip you up. Whew. And it's like, and, and the funny thing is you'd be going along at a pretty good pace thinking you're the man, you know, and things are, life's going good. And then all of a sudden you just, fall smack on your on your nose man and your world's turned upside down you go oh yeah that ego thing again if i would have been paying attention and been humble yeah no i hear you I hear there's you. anyone on the planet that i've ever wanted to beat up physically it would be my own alter ego i know, I know. <laughs> i'd like dude, to step that, outside that of that guy and just beat him up sometime <laughs> <laughs> that guy needs a throat punch i swear Ugh. oh there's times man there's times whether it's like yeah oh geez no you're you're absolutely spot on but oh so what do you got coming up you got any turkey trips any snow goose stuff what do you got going on no i quit i quit hating on snow geese a long time ago <laughs> that's Dude. just that is a lot of work man i tell you what <laughs> it, was, it was funny we got we did a DIY one, I don't know, a few years back in Saskatchewan and, and kind of DIY kind of outfitted, kind of tagged along deal. And I didn't, I didn't go on that. Um, the cameraman and our beyond the grid guy, Dan Picard actually went and filmed that. And it was really cool, but we talked about going back up and I'm like, I don't know. I'd rather just go with an outfitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm, I'm, Hey, I'm the same way. We don't do any snow goose guiding or outfitting at Prairie Rock. We do, however, uh, guide turkey hunts. So, and we have an early, we have one of the longest turkey hunts in the country. So we have, and last year we had to cancel our entire turkey season because of COVID. And so we had to roll everyone into this year. So we didn't do any kind of promotional work or yep. marketing yep. for our turkey season because we were already full before yep. the season started. And I, I don't so, think you're I don't think you're alone. You know, I had a mm -hmm. I had a really cool snow goose trip planned in South Dakota 
um, with South Dakota snows and it, you know, got canceled because of, because of, because of COVID and it ended up not happening. And then we tried to piece it together for this year. And it was like, I dude, I no room, you know, I've had to rebook all those clients and take some new ones. And so it's like, okay, we'll get that, let that cycle through the system. We'll go do another snow goose hunt one, one, you know, next year or the year after, but to go do that DIY thing, I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm not 22 years old anymore. I'm leaving that to the kids, man. I know. I and my hats off to them. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm like, right. you guys hate it. You guys hate those things worse than I do. Kill them I'm, all. I'm just, yeah. Go get them. <laughs> go get them. And, and I'll go along with you. But dude, to go run that grind, it's like, huh. You know, we have a young guy out here, Noah Miller with Western Waterfowlers. He's got a little, little guide service that he comes and runs, but he's kind of freelances all over the country. And he canceled the last part of his season because we just, because of our birds, just, he just couldn't get his clients on stuff consistently. You know, he didn't go out and have one day where they'd smash a six or seven man limit. And then the next two days they'd kill like two, you know, it was just like, that's how really, it is. Like, really hard. And so he, he just like refunded deposits and rebooked people for the next year. And he's like, I said, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm on my way to, uh, on my way to Arkansas. I was like, you're going to go flirt with the white devil, huh? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go lay in the mud for a while. He's, <laughs> you know, he's 21, 22 years old. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. I, Good for I, you. you know, people call us or, or send us DMs on social media and ask us if we snow goose, God snow goose hunts. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> here's, no six desire. Out, here's six dudes that do. Go with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and talk about burnout. I mean, you gotta, you know, these are I say this tongue in cheek because I would never ever forfeit the fact that we get to do what we love to do for a living. Right. Okay. So I'm not gonna belittle any of this stuff at all. But but it's a grind. You know, you wake as you know, you wake up super early. You're the first one awake and you're the last one to get to bed when you're outfitting and it's a grind over and over and over and over again especially during a long season or an extended goose season and and then you roll you know like we used to say what turkey season was the connective tissue between between hunting seasons you know turkey season years ago just was like well let's tur start turkey hunting because you know it gives you something to do during the off season or before the crappie start biting or whatever right. and and now it's it's a it's a it's a rolling process it yeah. never ends and if we added snow goose hunting to our uh as a category in in our outfitting service i i don't know I, you know, it would just be a, a super grind and I just don't think I could do it. You got to have some have, time or you'd off have to too. hire, you have to hire a whole bunch of young guys that are getting after it, but then you're making sure they're doing what they need to be doing. And still working. Yeah. Yeah. You're still working and they they've got what they need to operate. Right. Yeah. And I'm with you. I'm with you. You got yeah, unhappy had... clients cause you don't have wind for two weeks <laughs> And yeah. you know, it's like, I know it. man, I don't I know, know what it. to tell you, buddy. <laughs> I know it's, it's crazy, but yeah, one of these years we'll do another snow goose video, but we had same thing, man. I had Nebraska lined out last year for turkeys, uh, Montana, South Dakota, uh, the South Dakota one fell through for different reasons, but Nebraska shut down and that was like, okay, so much for that hunt. 
and we weren't even really planning on hunting our home state because we've done it you know so much it's like yeah how many wyoming turkey videos can we do but it was kind of like we got to do something because then montana didn't close you could still go and hunt but the 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 ranch we had permission to hunt the ranch manager was like "Mm, no we're not letting anybody on the property and so it was like okay guess we're gonna buy a general wyoming tag and go do what we've always done and it we got a neat little video coming out this weekend about it but yeah man it was so this year i don't i don't have a clue what turkey's gonna look like for us you know i don't i don't guide them but we got we still got to put out video and it's kind of like i don't know i don't know if we're gonna run around i don't know what it's gonna look like and it depends on what tags we draw too you know we have we have a ton you know we had a uh we, we didn't kill any last year. Right. And there is a noticeable difference in the, not only the offspring, the number of Jake's and young hens mm-hmm. that we have and huge flocks, but the groups of, of long beards that we had this winter that were roosting together were, were, I mean, I'll call it what it is. We're double the size we're no, we right. normally have because we didn't kill any birds last year. Right. And so, this year for us should be a really really good year no that's cool that's cool good for Hopefully. you <laughs> yeah who knows it, it's hunting it's yeah hunting, and right? it's and it's 2021 you have a clue what's coming oh, next it's exactly. like exactly who knows what this roller coaster is going to be you know i don't whatever exactly but, well dude i appreciate your time this has been i think we could keep going but i think we've got like an hour and a half worth of podcast here so this, sure. has been, this has been fun i appreciate it we'll have to do it again maybe after turkey season or before next fall but we uh if you get up this way and get a chance swing in stop by we'll go fishing or something that'd be fun sounds great thank you for having me on you know uh i was a huge uh, eastman's fan my entire life and my, my dad uh, took me elk hunting when I was, you know, back in the seventh or eighth grade when I was a kid a long time ago. And, you know, I watched, I've been watching Eastman's pretty much my entire life or at least as long as it's been on uh, that I can remember. And so, um, you know, I'm, I feel privileged and honored to be on your podcast. And, and you know, if you ever want to come down and do a duck hunt with us at Prairie Rock, then we should at some point talk about that let's and, do it and yeah. i'd love to have you down uh, video or not just uh this was an enjoyable conversation and um you know we've both been around the industry for a long time so uh, i don't hesitate to say that we would have a, a big time in the duck i think it'd be together. fun i think it'd be fun too yeah we'll we'll have to look at that next fall and see if we can make that happen that would be that'd be a ball absolutely i, I might even be able to sneak guy along that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be I awesome. tell you what, I've got him on one hunt. Invite. I got him on one hunt, and it was because his daughter was involved. And we did that. We did a dads and daughters day in the goose blind last year. And he actually had a really good time. He killed his first Canada, you know, and he was like, Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. That's cool. Sorry. That's cool. I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> right, right. It wasn't so bad after all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But no, cool, man. Yeah, we'll make that happen. Well, I got, I forgot to ask the guys last night this question, but I've been asking a question to close out. If you could only hunt one bird one way for the rest of your life and got forced on you, what are you going to pick? 
and why? One bird, one way for the rest of my life. There's a, I have, I have a toss up here. Okay. I mean, a a lot of people would say, a a lot of people are going to say green heads in flooded timber of Arkansas. I mean, that is like the answer so far. Right. I'm going to say, and Jimbo, Jim Ronquist, you ask him in a serious conversation, he's going to agree with this because he's hunted out there on the North Platte with me in these tight warm water sloughs in cottonwood stands in the timber on the river. That's a pretty damn close second. Small, skinny water hunting for mallards is pretty is is pretty intimate so that's pretty much what he said that's pretty much it just and necessarily it wasn't necessarily exactly flooded timber it was small skinny water ducks mallards that's right yeah that's no right. I, I there's something special about that that is for sure there is that's 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 my answer and i'm sticking <laughs> with it <laughs> i love it i love it well jake thank you very much man and i will catch you on the flip side I-